Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Well, we uh, have been in a series um, that we've called The Classics, and so um, we've done it Classics Volume 2, because uh, we did Volume 1 last year. If you want to pick some of that up, you can always grab it in the archives on our podcast. And uh, Pastor Steve, everybody give it up for Pastor Steve. He tore it up last week. Um, and if you were here last week, uh, some of y'all may wonder if Pastor Steve was going to be able to like limp in. Um, and so Miss Lori's actually sitting next to him this week. So we see Lori is a real forgiving woman of God. And so, and, uh, and so if you missed last week's sermon, um, pick it up on the podcast. You'll understand the uh, forgiveness issue, but it's hilarious. He did a great job. Uh, but this week we're in part four, and um, today um, we're actually kind of moving off of the model of the classics a little bit, because all the classic stories we've done before and will do in the future are all coming out of the Old Testament, some of the classic, classic stories. Um, but today we're going to pull a, a story out of the New Testament. We're going to pull a story out um, of Acts, and we're going to be looking at a guy named Stephen, and I think this is important because Stephen actually rolls through in Acts chapter 7. He rolls through the classics. He hits some of the highlights in his own little sermon, and then he begins to live out what it means to be a Christ follower, to be a child of God like Christ, to be a Christian, a little Christ. And we see this, and it's all interconnected. And so I wanted us in the middle of this to have a good hard look at Stephen's life because it helps us to connect with these classic stories because Stephen referenced them and used them, and some of the strength that, he, that we're going to see he had came from his understanding of people of faith and their, their connection with God's Word. So if you've got your your Bible app open, if you've got your bulletin, we're gonna, this is where we track together, and, and that the life of Stephen shows us what it means to, to know God better and to trust him more. And we've been looking at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, because this great cloud of witnesses has gone before us, and, and, it, and the writer of Hebrews tells us, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, there's not just one or two people who've lived a life of faith, to the point that the scriptures say we're surrounded we're surrounded. And so many times we could think we're surrounded by other things. We, we see our social media feeds and feel like we're surrounded by anger and hate and tension and all these different things. We feel like we're surrounded by all of these other pressures when the thing is, is if we will lift our eyes just a little bit and get it off of our immediate and look at what God is doing on an eternal level, eternal level we will see we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who are telling us that we can run the race marked before us, that we can live a life of faith, that God will work in the ugliest of circumstances and, and will be in our corner. So since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You know, it's a little unnerving to find that word perseverance because the truth is nobody gets up in the morning and saying, I hope I get to persevere today. That's nobody's bucket list item. I want to persevere because that means there's something difficult. That means there's something unpleasant 
That means there's something you would much rather stop doing, but you are going to lean in because of a greater goal, purpose, agenda, and you're going to persevere and you're going to push through it. None of us want to have to persevere, but there are things in life to see the fullness of what God has in store as the enemy brings attacks and different stuff. We have to persevere. And when we look to to what God has done in others' lives, in the, in the Old Testament scriptures, and in, in, the, in the New Testament scriptures, and just in the lives of one another, which is why we need to know each other's stories and what God is doing in each other's lives, then we get this courage to, to move forward and to persevere. And as we look at the life of Stephen, one of the first things I want us to notice, when we first connect with Stephen, the scriptures immediately tell us that Stephen was a man full of faith immediately tell us that. You know what? I, I would love to be known as that. If, the, if somebody was going to be pinning this, say, uh, Brandon Clark, oh yeah, he, he, was a, he was a man full of faith. I would love to be known that. I don't know that I'm there, but man, every day I get up, I want to know God better and trust him more. And at some point in that trusting, then hopefully I hit to that point that I am full of faith. But let's go ahead and look at Acts chapter 2. I mean, Acts, Acts chapter 6, verse 2. And it says, and so the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Not that wait on tables was beneath them, but they had a lot of stuff to do. They, and so they needed, this was an important work, and we'll see that they valued the work. So his brothers choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. They're wanting some high caliber people here to wait on tables. This is to take care of the daily needs of these, of these widows and, and to make sure they were well cared for. They needed to be full of spirit and wisdom. And we will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And this proposal pleased the whole group and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and also Philip... <clears throat> Proconus, Nicanor, Timon, Pumbaa, uh, um, uh, Parme- Parmenius, um, Nicholas from Antioch, and a convert to Judaism, and uh, and so there's this whole this is list of of men that get selected to do this, and these are no lightweight folks. These are some these are some guys who are full of faith and wisdom and the Spirit, and Stephen. First one in the list, um, because the writer of Acts is about to shift into the very next chapter to tell his story. But we see that here in the introduction, as we were very first introduced to Stephen, he was a man full of faith. Now Stephen in chapter 7, and we're not going to read it all because it's a lot of verses, and, um, but we don't need to know his entire message he preached. But as, as he is dealing there um, with, these, with these Jews who are hating the ministry that's taking place in the name of Christ, in the name of Jesus. They are, they're hating it. And Stephen ends up uh, addressing them, and he preaches this long message. And in this message, um, he talks about Abraham. He talks about Isaac. He talks about Jacob. He talks about David. He talks about Solomon. He talks about Moses. He talks about Joseph. He, he talks about all of these different guys. He's listing all these classic stories. He's listing these guys at these hall of faith. He's listing part of the people who are in this great cloud of witnesses. And he's just going through. And all of those guys are nodding their heads. They're mad at him, but they're nodding their heads. Yes, yes, yes. These are all our stories. 
And then he brings in Jesus and how they had rejected Jesus. And Jesus belongs in that lineage. Jesus belongs in this list. And, and they had, these people had attacked the prophets and they had attacked the people that God had sent. The Israelites had a history of attacking the ones God had set apart. And they, just like they attacked Jesus. And then these, this crowd turns they t- it turns on Stephen as he was, as he was declaring this. And, and it was his faith that was able to help him be able to speak the truth, to be able to do it in a way. We'll see that they actually saw a man of love, that saw a man of God even in the middle of their hatred. And we'll see that he kept his eyes on Jesus all the way through <clears throat> See, Hebrews 11.6 reminds us that faith is so important. It says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We've got to connect with God on a level of faith, not on a level of trying to do something to please him, but trusting him. That's what pleases him. Not trying to please him pleases him, but trusting him, believing him. That's what pleases him and Stephen is the one that did that and so many times we're trusting God is this place that it's difficult for us because we have to we have to take his word over our own fears and experience one of the best illustrations for this that uh, um, that I've heard of is that back when the settlers and and there, there had been the gold rush in California and people were moving from east to west as they went through um, the Nevada uh, territories and, the, and all of that terrible, rough, arid desert land. Um, you actually go through this, um, this area that actually means bitter. And then as you get through this place that everybody named bitter, then you get to this place called um, the Funeral Mountains. I kid you not. You can still to this day go take a family vacation to the Funeral Mountains. And on the, it's on your map. And so and then on the other side of the Funeral Mountains, you know, you got bitter Funeral Mountains, and then you enter Death Valley. So this sounds like something out of Lord of the Rings. Carry it to the Funeral Mountains and over the Funeral, through Death Valley. No, this is, this is what is in America. This isn't in a Tolkien book. And so this is, and because these people that trekked across there that named it, it was a harsh, harsh, harsh spot. And when you came along there at, in the middle of this, there was this one little spot that was a stop for the settlers, and it had a hand water pump. And here, there, they found this little baking soda can with a little lid attached on it with a letter in it dated in June of 1932. So you've gone through this place. There's no water. There's no stripes or any of that, you can't just stop and pick something up. They're, they're going through, and it's a miserable place. And here, this letter on this hand water pump says this. This pump is all right as of June 1932. I put a new sucker washer into it, and it ought to last five years. But the washer dries out, and the pump has got to be primed. Under the white rock, I buried a bottle of water out of the sun with the cork end up. There's enough water in it to prime the pump, but not if you drink some first. Pour about one-fourth of it and let her soak to wet the leather. Then pour in the rest medium fast, whatever that means, 
and pump like crazy, you'll get water. The well's never dried up. Have faith. When you get, <clears throat> get it watered up, fill the bottle and put it back for the next person um, to be found. And then it says, P.S., don't drink some first. If you'll prime the pump, you'll get all you can hold. And so here, as somebody's coming along, somebody has already gone before. And you find this source, but there's got to be something on your end to be able to receive what's, what's there. It really is. The water really is there. But there's got to be something to be done. And even that's been provided for. You didn't have to remember to pack your own water. Even that was provided for. All you had to do was actually trust that this water, this ball of water that had been buried and saved for you to prime the pump, that you would have to deny putting that to your mouth, taking a few swigs and then trying to do it. You had to actually use all of it to do. But if you did, you got all the water you could hold. There's so many moments in our lives where just as we hit these difficult points, we hit these dry points, and then finally it's like, oh, we get a little breakthrough, and then God's like, actually, no, this is what you need to do with it. This is what you need to do with this relationship. And finally get a little bit of something, and God says, no, I want you to love. I want you to pour love. And like, no, Lord, I can't love those who hate me. The scriptures tell us to love those who hate us. Folks, there's a lot of hate going on. But he's called us to love those who hate us. And it's like, no, if I just pour my love down that empty hate hole, I'm not going to get any back. I want to love and get a little bit of love back. I don't want to pour love down an empty hate hole. And the scriptures tell us if we will love, if we will love those who hate us, there is an outpouring of love that will come to us. It may not be from that person. But we step into the flow of what real love is. All of a sudden, we can't decide that we're going to determine what love looks like and receive from and have all that we want if we're not going to be in the flow of real love. And if God says, pour out the love, we have to trust that plenty of love has come in our direction. Even if it looks like where we're putting it is an empty hole, that we're going to get nothing in return from that. God's called us to love. God's called us to do that on so many different fronts. So many different fronts to trust on the front side when everything, would, our instincts would actually harm us. Our carnal desires, that thirst on your lips would actually rob you. If you give in to it, it would actually rob you of a reservoir of everything you could ever want. And that's where we have to have faith and trust God. His scriptures have laid up for us, have told us how to live life. we got to do it His way. Faith says, all right, everything tells me to go this direction, but you say go this direction. God, okay. I'm going to go your way and trust his way. Stephen was a man full of faith. He did it God's way. 1 John 5, 4 says, Everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even, even our faith. Our faith is what overcomes the world. Our faith is. My in-laws um, have love my father-in-law loves to hunt, and he's hunted a ton. And, and because of that, his passion for hunt, um, everybody whose passion is hunting eventually wants to go uh, to Africa and do safari. And he's got that opportunity to do safari five times. And um, as they go to their house, and there's just all sorts of animals. I can say this in West Texas and hopefully offend very few of you. And so um, 
Anyways, but there's just animals all over, all over their home. And um, a bunch of those are impala. And so there's got quite a few impala. And impala are a absolutely amazing animal. They're absolutely amazing. And so because they have the, they're able to jump just further than any other deer. They can actually jump and their feet clear 10 feet high. 10 feet high. Where what the, everybody's amazed at that somebody can dunk. They're actually like clearing over and looking down like, what's up? And so it's like, they're just going over it. They can clear 10 feet. They can jump out 30 feet. Jump out 30 feet. But you go to, to, the, to the zoo and you don't see walls 12 feet tall that are behind a 30-foot moat. No, amazingly enough, they can have a, a 15-foot moat with a 3-foot tall wall. And keep those Impala in all the time. Those Impala could get out of there anytime they wanted. They could jump out and go over there and see the hippos and go, What's up, hippo? You can't jump over nothing. <laughs> go get some peanuts. Go around the zoo. Go do whatever they want. Go say hi to the monkeys. They could do whatever they want to do. But they stay stuck. How do they stay stuck? Over something they can easily jump. There's this thing about the Impala that they will not jump. Where they cannot see where their feet will land. And their brains, they don't know what's on the other side of that. That three-foot-tall wall, it could be falling to oblivion. And they can't see that 15-foot moat that they could easily clear. And that three-foot-tall wall gives them enough stuff. They can't see where they're going to land. And so they will not jump. they got the ability to get free, but they can't see what the end result's going to look like. So they don't pull the trigger. And they stay in their enclosures all day, every day. And everybody watches and looks. And folks, you and I get trapped by things that have no power over us. No power over us at all. But because it takes a little faith and we can't see what the end results are going to look like, then we end up holding back and staying needlessly held captive on so many different levels because we can't see with our natural eyes how things are going to work out. Living by faith says, God says, this is how the end result's going to be. And we trust him and we take our step and we make our leap and we do what he calls us to do. Knowing that his word is true. In fact, in Matthew chapter 13 verse 56, this is talking about Jesus and it says, And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. This is the guy that takes Lazarus out of the graves, out of the grave four days dead. This is a guy who heals tons of people. All sorts of stuff goes down when Jesus is present, but because of their lack of faith, they would not give him permission to do what he could do. Their lack of faith set up a wall. And it says, except heal a few sick people. I love that healing is like the cake stuff. Bam, yeah. You couldn't do any mighty miracles except heal some sick people. Praise God, he's, that's not one of the big ones. And so, but they couldn't do anything because of their lack of faith. Our faith, a letting God, trusting him is vital. So when we look at Stephen, and we're about to get into his story, one of the things that just should just jump out to us is that Stephen reflected God so well that even those who did not like him saw it. Folks, this is going to become our, it already is whether you understand it or not. This is our assignment. For people who do not understand, 
trust in a God, having a, having a life lived by biblical principles and biblical standards, all those things, they will despise us. They do despise. But here we are called to love and to care and to do that. And in such a way that even those who hate us can still see this place of something different and something even angelic and godlike and heaven-like in our lives. Whether they're able to put their finger on it or not, there's something that's there. Let's look at Acts chapter 6, verse 12. It says, so they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. And they seized Stephen and they brought him before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is their court, is the Jewish court. So they bring him before this, this court. And it says, and all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen. Now they can't stand him. They don't like him. But they look intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. They see something heavenly in him even when they don't like him. Even when he's been falsely drugged in here, that steel, they're like, ah. It makes him even madder. They want him to be this, the boogeyman. They want him to be terrible. They want him to be, they want him to be this guy who's easy to hate. But then all of a sudden, he's this guy who, who they hate him because he's associated with Jesus, but he looks like a decent dude. He seems like a decent fellow. And folks, you and I are called to be in this place. Where yes, there will be a division because there will be those who are opposed to Christ and opposed to what he stands for. And then therefore, because we stand with Jesus, they will find themselves at odds with us. But they need to do it going, man, but you seem like a great person. Can't you just, can't you just let this Jesus thing go and then we can hang out and we can be cool. I, I, you'd be a cool guy to have at my barbecue. But this, this whole Jesus stuff, this whole God stuff, this whole love stuff. And God has called us. And folks, that is what's going to make the difference. Genuinely living out a God-reflecting life, is, that's the only thing that's going to make the difference in our culture. That is it. You and I living out the life of Jesus day in and day out is the only thing that's going to make a difference. That is simply where we are. Arguments, word, a bunch of talk, it's not going to change anybody. Everybody just digs in deeper. But when we begin to live significantly different lives that reflect heaven itself, that is what begins to make a difference. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we who with unveiled faces are reflecting the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We are being transformed we sh every day as we lean in, as we know God better and trust him more, we're being transformed. We're becoming more and more and more Christ-like. That is what should be happening in our lives. And people should begin to see a little bit more of Jesus in each of us as we move forward. One of the next things we get out of Stephen is that Stephen knew whose he was. In the middle of this incredibly nasty, difficult moment, he knew whose he was. And Stephen kept his focus on God even in the toughest of times. I get it that some tough times hit and we can go, God, where are you? I get it. I get it. Anybody that's been living this life in Christ, those moments come. 
but they don't have to come. They don't, tough times don't have to make us say, God, where are you? Tough times don't have to sit us in that place. When we cultivate a daily growth, we can begin to see God even in the ugliest, nastiest moments. As we get towards the end of Acts chapter 7, all of those verses between 15 and 54, we have Stephen, he's talking and he's going through some of the classic stories like I talked about, making those references. Um, And then in verse 54, it says, And when they heard this, this is, him, this is him bringing in Jesus and talking about who Jesus was and what they had done. It says, when they heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Everyone around him is furious and gnashing their teeth. It is not a pleasant environment. It is not. And in the middle of this not pleasant environment, after he has made a bold stand for Jesus, he could easily say, God, I made a bold stand for you. Where's this awesome stuff? How how come there's not been this amazing intervention? How come everybody hasn't fallen on their knees and given their lives to you? I thought I was going to be boldly preaching and everybody was going to get saved and and we were going to have this great revival. Instead, everybody's turning on me and he easily could have said, God, where are you in this? This started out strong. Everybody has turned against me, and he sees Jesus more clearly than he's ever seen. In the middle of that attack, he sees more clearly. In fact, he sees his full position standing at the right hand of the Father. He sees something nobody else has got to see. And then as we move down just a couple more verses, Acts 7.49, it says, And while they were stoning him, they picked up rocks. And as a angry mob hit him with rocks until he died. This is not a quick death. This is something agonizing. It's supposed to be agonizing. It is a a murder by committee where everybody gets their shot. And just think of the looks on their face. What what does your face look like if you just throw a rock as hard as you can? Take the anger, take the bitterness out of it. You're just going to throw it as hard as you can. There's just nothing but intensity and anger and taking all of your strength and putting into it. Now you add on to it the fact that they think he deserves to die, that they hate him, that they can't stand what he has said. And they sit there and they are just, you could not see more hatred being poured out of a group of people than what Stephen witnesses as these group of people are taking rocks and killing him rock by rock. They are just pouring out hate on him. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prays, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Not where are you, but I'm actually getting closer. In fact, receive me. Receive me. Receive me. I am yours and you are mine. There is nothing but hate and anger and attack and death. And he could feel his body stopping to function. And he said, you know what? I'm coming into your hand. I'm coming into your hands. This that they have tried to drive my faith out of me has actually put me right where I belong. Right in your hands. That faith in the middle of it. 
not calling down fire, not putting hatred, not saying, you'll get yours, but just loving. In fact, in fact, we'll see what he actually says to, what he actually says about the crowd. But in Romans 8, verse 16, it says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. He never questions where God is or whose he is. It says, into your hand, receive my spirit, receive my spirit. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. And now if we're children, then we are heirs and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. He's not saying, I hope I make it. He's like, heaven is my home and I'm coming. He was assured of who he was and who he belonged to and what Christ had done. And in the middle of that, Stephen forgave even when no one asked for it. Somebody here needs to get free and give some forgiveness that nobody's asked for. You want to be put in a jail? You live in the burden of unforgiveness. Somebody who can learn to forgive Before anybody asks, they're going to be the freest person you know. Because, yes, offenses come. Offenses come. And they hurt. But you know what? If years later, if we're still offended and we're still hurt, that is not that person's fault anymore. Jesus has come to set us free. That original offense and that original hurt and and some of the recovery period and all that, yes, that belongs squarely on the offender. But if we don't let Jesus come in, all of a sudden we begin to own and identify with some hurt that should not be in our hands and in our lives anymore. And we have to learn to forgive without anybody asking. Forgive without anybody asking. There's a new word in our household now called remotional. And um, uh, uh, the other day, Pressy was being upset and she was... Uh, crying and just having a hard time with something. And, and uh, Lulu was talking to her, and she's like, you know, what's going on? And Pressy said, I'm, I'm just being emotional. <laughs> and uh, she just said the word wrong. She understood she was being emotional. And sometimes we just got to understand. Um, maybe we are just being emotional. Sometimes it's not that big of a deal. But we used emotional um, over the last little bit. Um, whenever you get emotional, again. And I think it ought to be a real word. Because you know what? There's some things that were emotional. And if we don't let some healing come in and forgiveness come in, then we find ourselves living re-emotional all the time. We get emotional all over again over stuff that happened months ago, years ago, decades ago, when God can set us free and we don't have to live emotionally. Yes, emotions happen, but then we don't have to be emotional all the time. Acts chapter 7 verse 59 says, while they were stoning him, while they were stoning him, rocks hitting him, pelting his head, pelting his body. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees. Ah. And cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. 
He talked about the crowd. He had an opinion about the crowd that were hitting him and between stone strikes. He says, Lord, don't hold this against them. Don't hold it against them. There is active forgiveness flowing out in the middle of the attack of what would expire. Stephen died with love on his lips. He died with love on his lips. Uh, folks, I, I, I'm a dad. I, I, I don't want things to get this kind of sideways. I want my kids to grow up free and easy like, like I did. I want my grandkids to grow up and being able to live a life as a Christian. And yeah, you always got the little bit of holy roller pick on stuff, but it's all low key. That's not persecution. It's just normal bully junk. But there may be a day when legitimate persecution comes to the U.S., and it may not be that far. But we've already have it sealed up for us in the scriptures of what our call to. And I'm sorry, folks, but Stephen, he didn't reach in and find his own rock to throw back. He didn't. He had a pile of them around him with his blood on them. He didn't. He loved. And it's that love that begins to change things. When we can have our faith in Christ and our love in Christ and our trust in Christ so much that it doesn't matter how attacked we are, that we understand whose we are and who we belong to and the character of of what that should be expressed in our lives, and we can cry out for forgiveness for those who don't even want it. That's when we begin to be true reflections of our elder brother, Jesus. That was his cry. Lord, forgive them. They know not what they do. That was his cry. This is what we're called to do. In fact, Luke 23, 34. says, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. And then they just kept abusing him, dividing up his clothes, taking his plunder. They ignored it. They didn't all of a sudden have a change of heart. They just carried on. But he, he set the path. Matthew 18, 21 says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. This doesn't even have anything with them asking for forgiveness. They've just sinned, and I'm forgiven. Up to seven. Seven sounds like a lot. But Jesus said to him, I do not say up to you seven times, but up to 77 times, or seven times 70. And then Jesus is making the point it's not about the number. It is about doing it. Just keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on. Just forgive. First Peter 4 8 says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sin. We've talked about where sin does abound, grace does much more fully abound. Well, if we look at our culture and we look at our what's going on and we just see brokenness and sin, guess what? What's going to cover that is love. And there's only one source of that. And that's heaven itself, Jesus Christ. And then 
an outlet for it, and that's the body of Christ. And there ought to be an upwelling of love and forgiveness on the front side without anybody asking it coming up out of us. Remember, Stephen died with love on his lips. And our bottom line today is love loves when unloved. Love loves when unloved. It just keeps loving. It doesn't cease. It's not about just the give and take. It's just about giving out love. Folks, God is for us so we can run with perseverance, the race marked out to us. And folks, it will take some perseverance. It will. We have the strength and the support of the Holy Spirit himself at work in our lives. And we can love and forgive even in the middle of the mess. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.